Our text for this morning is Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. And this is the word of God for us today. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Will you pray with me? Father, what we sang we pray. Speak, O Lord. Speak in your word. I'm a frail vessel. We are frail listeners. But speak, O Lord, through your word, through the applied truth of your word. Use it as a tool to awaken dead hearts to life and salvation. Use it as a tool to encourage and strengthen those who you know those who know you. Use it, Lord, mightily and be glorified. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus will return to this earth. You all buy that? I mean, he promised he would. And the return of Jesus will be glorious and dramatic and visible to all. God said so. And we are not to neglect that knowledge. It is supposed to give us hope. It is to give us comfort. And it's supposed to call you and me to right living. Well, throughout the history of the church, there have been all sorts of mistakes made by people based on how they apply the doctrine of the return of Jesus. There are people who have just known that Jesus was going to return like Thursday. And so they quit their jobs and sold off their possessions and sat still in new robes they bought on a mountaintop to await the return of the Savior. That's not a good idea. 
That, by the way, as strange as it may sound, might even be the reason why Paul told people that they have to remember that they are supposed to keep working, keep their jobs in 2 Thessalonians 3. Remember Paul said, if you won't work, you can't eat? Well, other people in the past have gone the other direction and have stopped thinking about the return of Jesus altogether. And my guess is, honestly, they've looked at the whack jobs who are in robes on their housetops waiting for Jesus to come pick them up. And they have said, well, see, since those guys are going too far in that direction, we are obviously going to assume there is no return of the Lord Jesus and no resurrection of the dead to life forever. There's no glorious return to expect. That, of course, is a problem with people in the city of Corinth. Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians 15. What should the promised return of Jesus cause you and me to do? Because we know God's word has told us the Savior's going to return. But that still doesn't mean that you and I aren't tempted. We might be tempted to ignore the concept of the return of Jesus because we can't see how soon or how far it will be. Or it may cause us to focus on the return to such a point of distraction that we do not function in the day-to-day. Would it surprise you to know that Jesus himself, when talking about his return, knew that we would need counsel from him to know how to live in this age as we await his return? Does that surprise you that Jesus knew that? Jesus is wise beyond measure. He saw his disciples thinking about the end to come and he knew he needed to prepare them and the church that would come out of their ministry to live in this world while we await when he brings things to their proper conclusion as we serve to bring about that end. Well, in Matthew 24, we've seen Jesus sketch for the disciples a quick description of the hardships of the present age. He calls them birth pains, hardships that point to the fact that his return is still to come. Jesus talked about the fall of Jerusalem. He talked about the incursion of false teachers into the world. And he talked about much, much more. And then Jesus told the disciples of the glorious day of his return to earth, coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Of course, if you were the disciples sitting by Jesus and you heard him talking about him coming In the skies, power, great glory. What would your question be? When? Jesus told the disciples, even in your generation, all you first century believers, all you people living between 30 and 70 AD, you're going to see all the birth pains fulfilled. Jesus wasn't promising, by the way, that he would come back in their lifetimes, but he was making it clear that once the signs were fulfilled, signs like the fall of the temple in Jerusalem, all the rest, his return was really quickly possible. Well, now Jesus is going to go forward and he's going to speak to the disciples. And he's going to speak through the disciples to you and me about how to live in this age, how to live waiting for him to come back. And in this discourse of the Savior to the followers, It's going to be interesting because Jesus will have more to say to the church about how we're supposed to live between when he ascended to heaven and when he comes back. He's going to have more to say about how we're supposed to live in the now than he tells us about when he is going to return or what that's going to look like.
which means in my mind, in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew's tw- Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is telling us that how we live in the here and now is more important data for you than the information about the signs. So if you're a note taker, I want you to prepare for three key points. And let's get started and let's see what Jesus has to say to you and me about awaiting the return of Christ. Y'all set? You ready? You okay? You're quiet. All right, just checking on you. Point one, you'll like this one. Expect the return of Christ to be unexpected. (laughs) Expect the return of Christ to be unexpected. Verse 36 reads, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So after all Jesus said to his disciples about his return and the signs, Again, he anticipated what his disciples would want to know. When? When's this going down? When's the party? What's the date? And you know what Jesus said to them? What Jesus said to them is one of my favorite answers to give you. I don't know. That's what he said, isn't it? See, the meaning of verse 36 is not hard. There's a very clear date known, set by the Lord for the glorious return of Jesus. God the Father has that date. It's on his calendar. It's been set on his calendar eternally. But the angels of heaven don't know. And in a fascinating point, neither does Jesus when he says this to the disciples. Well, the difficulty with this verse is that it raises questions of theology, doesn't it? It it raises some questions that, guys, Jesus is not trying to bring up to talk about. You know, a lot of times we say something that's true and somebody else goes, wait a minute, what about this? That's not what Jesus is after here. The conversation Jesus is having with his disciples is not a conversation over the inner workings of the Holy Trinity. Neither is Jesus giving a, a, a teaching right now on the, 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 the dual nature of the, of the deity and the humanity in the Son of God. But those topics do have to come up when we see the Son of God claim as the Savior not to know something. Why is this hard? In case you're wondering why, what, what's the big deal? So what? Jesus is God, right? Y'all cool with that? Does God know everything? But Jesus just claimed not to know the date of his future return. Now do you feel the tension? How do we deal with that? This is not Jesus giving us a secret hint that he is somehow less than divine. This is not Jesus saying, let me, let me give one to the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses here. Jesus is giving us a little reminder here that he is truly God and truly man. As the Son of God incarnate, Jesus chose to voluntarily give up some of his rights as God. Jesus chose, in order to come to earth, to lay aside certain things to limit himself as a human being even though he never stopped being truly divine 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, reads that we should have, you should have this mind in yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What about Jesus? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't cling to his equality. He didn't clutch it and hold on to it no matter what. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Think about how Jesus spoke about his life and ministry. In John 5, 19, the Lord said, um, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus is God with all the rights of God. But during his earthly ministry, Jesus chose to so fully submit to the commands of his Father that he limited what he would do only to that which he was commanded to do by the Father. Think about the temptation of Jesus. Satan tried to to tempt Jesus by getting him to use his power to turn stones into bread. How many of you have ever faced that temptation before? No. No. I mean, if you ever wished you could face that temptation even, right? But Jesus, Jesus refused to turn stones to bread. Why? Is, is bread making sinful? Even you paleo people would agree <laughs> that bread making is not sinful, correct? No, it's not sinful. But Jesus had chosen at this point to use his divine power only in ways that were commanded him by the Father, living a human life. And the Father had Jesus using his omnipotence only in ways that would further the ministry that he came to do. Jesus had the power to turn stones to bread. Jesus had every right to turn stones to bread. But Jesus willingly let go of that right in order to perfectly fulfill his mission as one who is truly human. And in becoming truly human, Jesus also chose to live with human knowledge. Do you remember the end of Luke chapter 2, what it said Jesus did? He grew. Remember that? By the way, does God grow? (laughs) He grew in wisdom, stature, knowledge, favor with God and men, right? Jesus, as a true human being, learned to walk and talk. You understand that that's true, right? He learned to write and to work. How strange would it have been had baby Jesus been able to speak as an adult? That would have been weird, right? That wouldn't have been a normal human life. Jesus, in his humanity, chose not to access the knowledge 
of the Father regarding the day of his return. This is not Jesus claiming to be less than God. It's Jesus demonstrating for us his true humanity. And more important than that, because truthfully what I just did with you right there is a side point that we have as a sort of almost an apologetic discussion over what Jesus said. You know what's important here? You know what you're supposed to get? More importantly, Jesus is emphasizing to you, church, you're not going to get God to tell you the date that Jesus is planning to return. Look at verses 37 through 41. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one left. Here Jesus is illustrating the point that he just made. In Noah's day, people lived ordinary lives right up to the very end. They ate, they drank, they had weddings, all the rest. And the world around Noah lived ignoring God until the flood swept them away. Till the flood took them, they lived normal lives. Jesus says his return is going to hit the world like that. In verses 40 and 41, we have some illustrations here of the Lord. They're really ordinary life illustrations to show what the world's going to be like when he returns. Two men are in the field. Two guys are going to work. You can almost picture the carpool. Right? One's taken, the other left. Two women are working a small mill. You guys know how the old millstone thing worked, right? You'd have a big stone on bottom, a, a smaller but still very heavy stone on top, and there'd be a handle that would come out of that stone. And, and two women would operate it. Well, they'd pull, this, pull that handle around and get it about this far, and then the other one on the other side would grab it and pull it the rest of the way around, and then the one here would take it and give it the 180 degrees around, and they, there would be two women sitting across the mill. Maybe a mother and her daughter sitting across the stone, just, just talking about life, complaining about their husbands, whatever they do. Pull that handle back and forth, plan the meal for the day, and in a moment, one taken, one left. It's going to be something like that when the Lord Jesus returns. You know what's really funny when you study this passage is that teachers disagree as to which one of the two gets something good and which one gets something bad. You can be taken for reward or you can be taken for judgment. And truthfully, Jesus isn't talking to us about that here, so we don't need to debate that. What is Jesus trying to tell us? 
The disciples want to know, when are you going to return? What's the date of your return? Jesus says, you cannot have a sign, you cannot have a date to hang your hat on. To many people in the world, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be a shock. Many people in the world that we live in are so set on pretending that there is no God and ignoring the things of God that they will not see or understand the signs of the times. Many will be so set on ignoring God that they're going to be caught completely unaware. You know what? Even in a period of wars and rumors of wars and crazy natural disasters, you realize people still go to work and get married and prepare lunch and all the rest, right? Jesus said his return is going to happen in such a way so swiftly it will catch off guard people who think their lives today are going to be ordinary, the same today, just like the day before, 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 but that day will be different and different forever. So expect the return of Christ to be unexpected. Christians get this. The more Christian, that you are attempt, that you're tempted to assume that things will be tomorrow exactly as they are today, the more you're thinking like the world around you. Don't give in to that. Set your mind on things above. Look forward to the return of Jesus. But don't think that you can do some sort of news reading or mathematical equation to tell you exactly when Jesus is going to return. Because there is not a prophecy that tells you when Jesus will crack the sky and come back to earth. And don't, please, oh please, don't fall for any teacher who tells you he can show you exactly when Jesus is going to come back because the return of Jesus is going to be sudden and dramatic it's going to catch the world off guard know that so you can be ready for the return of Christ and so that you can live to honor him until that day second point be prepared for the return of Christ be prepared listen to verses 42 through 44 Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. See, not only are you and I to expect the return of the Lord to be unexpected by the world around us, we are also to live expecting that it's going to happen. You must be ready for the Lord to return. You know what? No matter what your theological understanding is of the order of events for the return of of Christ, you better be ready to meet Jesus today. Well, see, at this point in the discourse, in the Olivet Discourse, everything that we get is going to be taught in illustrations or parables. And I think we can find a set of five of them if we count this that I just read as a parable from verse 42 here all the way to the end of chapter 5. Five illustrative ways of teaching us to highlight different important truths of how to await the return of the Savior. What we're going to do this morning, Lord willing, is try to get through the first two 
illustrative teachings, parables today. Now, the therefore at the beginning of verse 42 tells us that what we're about to hear, it's the proper conclusion to draw from the things Jesus that just taught us. Because his return is unexpected, you and I need to stay awake. You and I are to keep our eyes open. You and I are not to be caught unaware by his unexpected return. And the first parable, the first illustration that we get from Jesus to tell us how to await his return is that of a homeowner whose home is threatened by crime. How many of you live in a home? Any of you going to tell me no to that? Because we're, that would be sad, but surprising given our group. Whether you own your own home or not, you live somewhere. And so this parable is not difficult to imagine. By the way, I do understand that there are those who don't have a place to live. That's a sad, sad thing. So don't uh, misunderstand that. If you knew, though, that a thief was planning to break into your house, if you knew that a thief was planning to come and steal your stuff, and if you knew the exact hour that he was planning to come, I'll be by at 3.13 in the morning, would you not be prepared? Now, that preparedness could include a trusty shotgun. It could include calling your big burly friend over to spend some time with you. It could include calling the police. That would be my recommendation. You would be ready if you knew for sure when the thief was going to arrive, though, wouldn't you? Well, one thing's for sure. If you knew a thief was coming to your house at three, you wouldn't just go to bed, sleep the night away, leave a note on the door that says lock up on your way out. You would be sure that you were awake and ready to deal with the problem. So Jesus is telling us here, if a homeowner would stay awake to protect his home, should you and I not be even more diligent to stay awake and be ready to meet the Savior when he returns? Jesus said, like a thief, he's going to come to us at an hour that is unexpected. Now, Jesus is not calling himself criminal here. He's just saying, look, you, you're unaware. If you let yourself sleep, don't do that. So the principle for you and me is be ready, be aware. Friends, it is so easy, isn't it, to let this world just dull you to thoughts of eternity? How many days do you go through when you don't even think about forever? We live the day to day every day. And the world around us assumes that it's all going to continue just as it always has. And the world, the world feels like it's solid and it feels like it's stable. And if you and I aren't careful, spiritual life Spiritual truth, the promise of Christ to return, will seem less and less real to you. So what do we do? We need to take very real, very tangible, very particular actions to be sure that our minds and our hearts are awake to the fact that Jesus is coming back. We, we've got to be sure 
not to let ourselves be lulled to sleep by the trappings of this world. Well, what might help you not to be lulled to sleep? Jesus doesn't tell us here, so I just kind of want to give you some biblical advice. Is that okay? Jesus doesn't say a specific here, but God's word gives us a lot to think about. And any idea that I would suggest to you from this point in this category could be categorized as spiritual disciplines, obedience, or what some, some folks that we know call the means of grace. Um, I've got to say, that's not my favorite term. I feel, I feel like there's a slight confusion in that terminology, but that, that's a conversation for another day. What can you and I do to stay awake? Let me give you one that includes two, and then we'll get a bunch of ideas kind of as a list afterwards, okay? Sunday morning worship. You guys have heard of this, right? Thanks, Manny. Sunday morning worship is a call to keep us spiritually awake. Because getting together with the people of God on a week-to-week basis, that is a way that you set your mind on things that are above. Hearing the word of God preached and, and praying and singing of the Lord and his eternity, all of those things are reminders to, your, to, to have your, your soul awake to the spiritual and to the eternal. Think about this inside Sunday morning worship when we do it. Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. I mean, to some, if you're not careful, it may feel ordinary. But the Lord's Supper is a way, a, a physical, spiritual sight and sound and taste and touch way to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died to pay for our sins, shedding his blood, rose from the dead, is alive today, and will come back again. Because the word says, we participate in this meal until we do it in his presence. Participating in Lord's Supper helps us be awake to the reality of Jesus and his return. Which would make me say we could never do too much of that. Friends, being being committed to the local church is an absolutely vital way for you to be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, just for grins and giggles right now, How many of you think to yourself, boy, that sounds like a pastor doing a great job of reminding us we need to attend church? Very convenient, pastor. It's not my idea. The author of the book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, don't skip church, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, listen to this, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you guys know what the day is? 
the return of the Lord Jesus. Attending church, gathering together is a way to encourage one another as you see the day drawing near. That's the word of God. That's not mine. The day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return, that is a reason God that God gave you that should say it should not be easy for you to skip meeting together with other believers. Friends, Sunday morning worship, church fellowship is vital for your spiritual survival and for your readiness for the return of the Lord Jesus. Because when you take time out of ordinary, normal people life to focus yourself with other people on the eternal, you're doing something that tells your heart to be ready. But when you pick and choose whether you'll come to worship the Lord, when you skip out... If you do it too often, you'll start thinking to yourself, whether you would say it or not, that the world around you is more real than is your Savior. Well, what else could I add? Prayer, fasting, daily, regular Bible reading, scripture memorization, fellowship, not just a meal, but really being with believers, living life together. Accountability, discipleship, everything that brings about Christian growth, all of them are tools to help you to stay awake. Every time you do something that is intentionally spiritual, intentionally obedient to Scripture, you are reminding yourself that Jesus Christ is your all in all and that He will return and that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now let me suggest this to you. After today's message is over, maybe while you sit down and have some lunch, we're going to do that, or maybe sometime later when you meet with another believer some other time, why not make this a topic of conversation? Talk to each other. Maybe even brainstorm a little bit. What kind of thing would help you to have a mind focused on spiritual reality? Ask each other, what can we do to be awake to the fact that Jesus will return? How can I be ready for Jesus to return? How can I help you be ready? How can I not let this world dull us and overwhelm us? Would you be willing to have that conversation with some brothers and sisters in Christ? It'd be a good use of your time. Let's look at one more parable from Jesus today to help us properly await his return. Okay, still with me? Third point, be faithful until the return of Christ. Be faithful until the return of Christ. 45 to 51 reads, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards and the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this second illustration parable focuses us on a master with servants. Good servants, wicked servants. 
And the issue here is not one of whether or not you fall asleep and ignore the concept of the Lord and his return, but the issue here is one of faithfulness until the Lord returns. If a master of a house is away for a time, it's good for his servant to do what the master called on the servant to do. The servant should take care of things. The servant should care for those under his care and be faithful to whatever instructions the master gave. And the servant who is faithful to his master is going to be rewarded well by his master when the master finally returns to the house. And do notice the faithful servant, the faithful servant isn't actually caught off guard when the master returns. He's awake, he's ready, even if he doesn't know the specific day when the master is going to come back. But what if the servant begins to think to himself, I don't think the master's coming back anytime soon. What if the servant stops being obedient to the master's instructions? What if the servant uses the absence of the master as an excuse to be cruel to other servants, drunk and violent? What then? In 50 and 51, Jesus wraps up this parable with a stern warning. The wicked servant who uses his master's delay as an excuse for sin, that servant is going to be shocked when the master returns. And that master is not going to reward that servant, but will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. This, by the way, is a sign that this is metaphorical because both being cut in pieces and put with hypocrites doesn't sound like you could do both easily. In that place, there's a place where disintegration and horror somehow come together. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The unfaithful servant faces true destruction. What's the lesson of this parable? Do y'all see that this is actually pretty easy scripture to understand? Jesus hints to his disciples here that there is going to be a long time before his return. It's going to be longer than many people expect. And surely you have to agree with me that many people of the first century did not think it would be 2,000 years between Jesus' ascending into heaven and his return. But you realize it's almost been 2,000 years since that time? Well, the followers of Jesus in this long period of delay between his first coming and his second coming, we face opportunity and we face temptation. What's your opportunity? You've got the opportunity to obey your Lord. You've got the opportunity to be faithful to your Lord. You've got the opportunity to be rewarded by your Lord when he comes. But you also have temptation. You have the temptation to let the delay make you live as though he's not coming. The word of God has told us what our lives are supposed to be like in this age before the return of Christ. What are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be faithful. 
You are supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Is that news to you? You are to love your neighbor as yourself. You are to worship the Lord. You are especially to love one another in the church. You are to battle for the love and the unity in the body of Christ. You are to take the gospel to the nations. We are to care for widows and orphans. We are to avoid sexual immorality. We are to keep marriage sacred. We are to live in obedience to everything the Lord Jesus has commanded. And when we do that stuff, Jesus says that we will have from him a great reward at his return. When Jesus comes back, he's going to find his church here on earth. Here's the question, friends. When Jesus comes back, will he find us faithful? Will he find us being what his word calls us to be? Will he find you being what he's called you to be. Would you be happy to have the Lord Jesus return with your life as it is right now? The other side of this parable, the darker side of this parable, is very frightening. The delay between Jesus' first and second comings is a temptation for some people to sin. Because if you stop thinking Christ will return, you might start thinking that you no longer have to live according to his word. And disobedience to the commands of Christ is deadly. Now, truly, friends, we don't think that Christians who slide into sin are going to go to hell for a failure. Aren't you glad, by the way, that your failure, if you truly are in Christ, is not going to damn you? But Jesus is telling us with the horrifying end of this parable, many people who seem to be Christians, many people who look like Christians are actually not. And one way to know that somebody is not a Christian is when they turn from the faith and they embrace sin because they do not fear the judgment of Christ. Be faithful until the return of Christ. That's Jesus' point here. Are you a Christian here this morning? Do not forget Jesus will return. Work. Don't work to be saved. You can't work yourself into salvation. But work for reward. Work for joy. Obey for the honor of Christ and the delight of your soul. Be found faithful when the Lord returns. You know, the Savior's made it very plain to us in this section. He will return. But you realize that nobody on this earth knows when that return's going to be? You must allow that the return of Jesus could be soon. And you must allow that it could be far, far in the future. Either way, you must be prepared. So Christian, how do you properly await the return of Christ? Stay awake and be prepared for the unexpected return of the Lord. 
Participate in critical spiritual disciplines. Be a growing disciple. Talk with other believers about eternal things. Long to be faithful to his commands. Work to be faithful to his commands. Do not let this world lull you to sleep. Instead, strive to be obedient to Christ's commands and long for the reward that he will give you when he finds you faithful. Because you're going to meet Jesus. He might come back and you meet him that way. Or in a moment, you could breathe your last breath and you meet him that way. But you will meet Jesus. And if you're here this morning and and you've never yielded your life to Jesus, if you don't love and want to follow Jesus, if you haven't asked him for salvation, be aware, Jesus has promised he's going to come back. And when he returns, he will reward everyone who has come to him by grace through faith for salvation. But if you've ignored Jesus' offer of grace, if you've decided that you will live for yourself in your way according to your standards, you're going to be in deep trouble. Like the unfaithful servant, you will face the wrath of your master when he returns. So I urge you, I urge you, come to Jesus. Turn away from sin. Turn away from thinking that you're smarter than the Bible. Turn away from thinking you're smarter than the ways of God. Believe in Jesus and find salvation because Jesus will save all who come to him in faith and repentance. Come and find life before the day of Christ's unexpected return. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord God, Your word is good and your return is real. And I know that many view exactly how long it will take for you to return, the order of events differently, but the truth is we all must be prepared to meet you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be ready. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be awake. Help us not to be lulled to sleep by the seeming solidity of this world. But instead, help us to prepare our hearts, prepare our lives, to participate in the things that will make us genuine, lifelong, faithful followers. Forgive us our sins. Draw us near. Lord, where there's anybody here who does not yet know you, God, do a work to bring about salvation. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.